this is Father's Day, and, and uh, this is from my kid's dad, also known as, as Mr. Fix-It, Coach, Refrigerator, Lifeguard, Hero, Taxi Driver, Doctor, Money Machine, any dads relate to that one? Role Model, Counselor, Monster Buster, any Monster Busters out there? The monster's in the, in the bedroom, dad comes in and chases them away. Um, bear hugger, storyteller, horsey, anybody play horsey? And I love the last one, it says spider squasher. Any spider squashers out there? And then it has a verse, and a couple verses on there. And the verse in Ephesians says, Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Said, bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord. And then there's even a verse on here from 3 John 1-4. Anybody read 3 John very often? You know, there's really, there's the book, of Gospel of John, and then there's three books of John. And John 3 is just one chapter, but here's a verse from John, uh, from 3 John. And 3 John 1-4, who can quote that one? <laughs> who even knows where it is? says, I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. Isn't that it? For a, a Christian dad, there's no greater joy than to know their children are walking walking with the Lord. Because this life is over quickly and we can enjoy each other for eternity through faith in Christ. And, uh, and so today is Father's Day and I was looking um, in the Bible thinking about what to share. And we're going to get this adjusted. Um, I came across a parable that I'd never seen this name of the parable before. And I thought I knew most of the parables. But I came across the parable of the compassionate father. Anybody know that parable? Most Bibles it's called the parable of what? The prodigal son. But in this particular version of the Bible, they labeled this verse I'm going to read to you. The parable of the compassionate father. And really it's a look at what fathers look like and a look at what our God, our father, looks like. And it goes something like this. It says, Jesus was telling the story. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the state. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got all he had together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. I think the King James, and there he became a prodigal son. Prodigal means just to blow all your stuff. And a lot of people, when they go through this parable, they're thinking about the kid. But there's really a lot about the father in this parable. And Jesus used parables, and parables are just simple stories that have a spiritual truth. And the simple, real things in the parable coordinate with something in the spiritual world. In this case, there was a man who had two sons. The spiritual uh, connection is that the man represents, who do you think? The man, the father, represents spiritually who? God, our father. And the two sons represent who? Us. Sons and daughters. So there's a story about a father. And I thought it would be really appropriate for Father's Day to talk about 
a father, and particularly God our Father. A lot of you have had fathers. Some of you had wonderful fathers. Your father's your hero, the greatest person. Some of you had fathers that were terrible, and some of you had in between. And a lot of times, people's idea of God the Father is based upon who their father was. And some people had a, a terrible father. They don't want anything to do with God the Father. But don't ever think about God the Father on those terms. Because no matter how great your dad was, God's better. And no matter how bad your dad was, God's love and his greatness overshadows all that badness. Because don't base your thoughts on who God is on people. Because people are imperfect, but God is what? He's perfect. He's a perfect father. Anybody here have a perfect father? If you're a believer or follow Jesus, you have a perfect father. He loves you perfectly. I talk to people whose kids are in rebellion, like this prodigal son, and it breaks their heart, and they, they don't know what to do. But, you know, every one of God's, the perfect father's children rebelled. And he's the perfect father. So we want to look at, at this um, parable from the eyes of, of the father. And um, first of all, he's a father because he had two sons. In order to be a father, you need to have somebody to father. It's not always your physical children. Sometimes it's adopted children. Sometimes it's somebody else's children. Maybe lost their father. But And, and that's uh, fathering involves having kids, sons or daughters, to father. When did you become, when did God become your father? It's a good question. God becomes your father when you believe. Before you put your faith in Christ, you were a lost child. When I look out the world, I see lost children. They've lost their father. When, when mankind blew it back in the garden, they were separated from God the Father, and now they're like lost children running around without a father. But when you invite Christ into your life and you're born again, this is what the Bible says happens in Romans 8.15. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit you receive doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear again. But the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption as sonship. And hereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit in us testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering, or we may share in his glory. In other words, when you invite Christ into your life, the Bible says you're born again, and you are adopted. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are an adopted child. And you know what? If you're adopted, you know what? For sure, your parents wanted you, right? Because <laughs> they went after you. And you get adopted. And God went out of his way to adopt his lost children. He went clear from heaven to a cross to a tomb and then to an empty grave. That's the price he paid to adopt us. So we're adopted, but you don't become children of God as, his, as, your, as your heavenly father until you get adopted. Our daughter and son-in-law are trying to adopt two little girls, really cute little girls. We just love them to pieces, but my son-in-law, he's not their father yet. And my daughter is not their mother yet. But as soon as the adoption is completed, it's going to be daddy and mommy. And as soon as you accept Christ, it's daddy. You have a father. 
and you cry, Abba, Father. That word means basically daddy. And so this father had two sons who were his sons. And if you know Christ, you've been adopted into his family. And when you get adopted into his family, you become an heir. You are now in line to receive an inheritance. And when you look at that, it says the father gave, the son asked the father to give him his share of the estate, so he divided his property between them. The, father, the son came and said, Dad, I want my inheritance now. Well, you're only, you know, 18 or whatever he was. Yeah, but I want it now. And so Dad said, okay, and Dad gave him his share of the inheritance. He, gave, he divided it between the two, so the older son got the share too. And he took that inheritance and he hit the road. As you and I, as followers of Jesus, we've been adopted into God's family. We have a Heavenly Father. He has an inheritance for us. Do you know where your inheritance is from your Heavenly Father? The Bible tells us it's pretty cool. God has inheritance for his children. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of salvation. When you believed, you were marked. In him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So when you believed, you were in, uh, indwelled by the Holy Spirit and born again. And that spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Until the redemption of those whose God's possession and the praise of his glory. When you are, receive God's spirit, that's a down payment. In fact, the King James says you receive an earnest. Anybody try to buy a house, you have to, what do you have to put on the house to tell me really want it? They call it what kind of money? Earnest money. God has put earnest money in you. Your heavenly father has put earnest money and that's the Holy Spirit. And that's where that joy and peace comes from as you're living for him. But that's just the down payment. That's just the down payment. The full meal deal is yet to come. It's the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. You've got an inheritance if you're a child of God. goes on to say, I pray their eyes and heart might be enlightened in order that you may know, hope, may know the hope which he's called you to, the riches of his glorious inheritance. It's going to be glorious. Some of you maybe had fathers who passed on. You received some inheritance, some small, some large. And, and, and it's good that fathers can do that. But the inheritance that God has for us is out of this world. In fact, it says, give joyful thanks to the father who is qualified you to share in the inheritance of his people in the kingdom of light. There's going to be a time in heaven where we're going to receive this inheritance. Peter says this. He says, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us a new birth. We've been born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. The inheritance is kept for you in heaven. You've got inheritance waiting for you that will never spoil, never fade, never perish. And this prodigal son was given his inheritance. It was offered to him by the father. And God has given, offered his inheritance to the whole world. And people have to decide if they want to receive him as father and receive that inheritance. Or they can say, no thanks, and they can squander their inheritance like the prodigal son. The Bible says, Don't store treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. 
But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moths and rust do not destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The prodigal son took all the blessings of God, and he lived a wild life, and his heart was in this world. And God's telling us not to put our heart into all the things of this world, because they pass away, but to put our treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. For what will profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? What will man give in exchange for his soul? The heavenly, our Heavenly Father offers us his great inheritance. He doesn't just offer it to us. He offers it to all the lost children out there. And I, I think of people that haven't come to Christ yet as lost children. They're lost. And Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Have you ever seen a lost child? Maybe you're in a park or in a shopping mall or something. You see a little kid. They look up and they can't find mom and dad. And they're looking around real frantically. And as soon as they see the father or the mom, what do they do? They run to him. Because father, mother is where it's safe. But this, the world, a lot of the world is running away from God. And they're storing up treasures on this earth. They asked one of the richest men in the world one time, what would it take to make you happy? You've got billions and billions of dollars. What would it take to make you happy? You know what he said? Just a little bit more. <laughs> it's never enough, is it, Tom? The stuff of this world will never be enough. But God is more than enough. And he offers us an inheritance that's out of this world. The Bible says, I hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, nor can he even imagine what that inheritance is going to be like. Paul said, whatever you go through in this world, it may be hard, but the sufferings of this world aren't worthy to be compared with the inheritance you're going to receive. It'll be a place where there's no more pain, no more suffering, no more sickness, no more death. A place where God will wipe away tears. A place where there's joy forevermore. We ain't seen nothing yet. So as we live in faith and, and, and relationship with our Heavenly Father, this world isn't where we're putting all our investment in because our inheritance is yet to come. We live here for Him. And so the kid went out and he blew everything in wild living. It says he went away in a distant land and there squandered his wealth in wild living. The father could have said no, couldn't he? Father could have said, you're not getting the money, you're staying home, you're not, you know, you don't know what you're doing. And I'm sure there's probably some conversation, but he ran away, he took the money, he left. The father said, you're that age, you choose. And God says that to every person on planet earth today, you choose. God gave us something, our Heavenly Father gave us something, it's called the gift of free will. Every human being can choose. Somebody said, well, why didn't God just make us robots so we just automatically bow down and worship Him and serve Him? Because love without choice isn't love, is it? God could have created beings that He, he programmed to just say, I love you, God. I love you, God. I'll obey you, God. I'll serve you, God. But God didn't want any of that. He wanted real love, and real love requires choice. One of the teachings of the Bible is that God has given humans free will. Why is there evil, pain, and suffering in the world? Because he gave people a choice, and people have chosen some people to do evil. 
He gave Satan a choice as an angelic being, and Satan chose to do evil. And someone said, wouldn't it be better if he didn't give him the choice? If there is no choice, then there's no love. The problem of, of, of pain is in this thing that God has given us a free will, but that's a gift, and you can choose. God's will is that none of his lost children would be lost. You know that? The Heavenly Father's will is this. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, talking about his second coming. But he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God's will is for every human being that he has created to come to repentance. That's, that's his will. Now we know that's not going to happen. Because people have a will. And people can use that free will to reject God and live their own life and squander their inheritance like the prodigal son. But that's not God's desire. I'm sure the father's desire wasn't his son would run away. Some of you have kids that rebelled. Your desire wasn't that, that they rebelled. But they chose to rebel because they had a free will and they rebelled. And, and, but God's desire is that there would be no rebellion. But there is. In fact, did you know that hell wasn't created for people? God has no desire to see anybody separated from him for eternity. So many people get hung up in that. Well, God the Father, he just sends people to hell and he's just laughing all the way. No, it breaks his heart. He's like the prodigal son's dad. He didn't want, him, he didn't want them to go there. It wasn't the design for them to be there. It was never God's design for people to be separated from him for eternity. It says in the scripture, he'll say to those on his left, those that rejected him, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. Not for humans. God doesn't want any human to miss out on eternity with him. But he's given people free will. And I'll talk to somebody about Jesus. I'll explain how much he loves them. Explains what the price he paid on the cross and and what he's done for their salvation. And and I say, would you like to receive Jesus? And no. And it's their true choice. God could suppose he's after everybody and make them bow down. And God doesn't want uh, robots. He wants people's hearts. Ezekiel. As surely as the Lord lives, declares the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they would turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? God takes no delight. God takes no delight when people choose to do the wrong thing and reject him. The prodigal father's son took no delight when his son decided to go off, but he said, Son... You're a man now, you choose. God does not delight in seeing his creation, his lost children, separated from him for eternity. But he gives them the choice. In Luke, Jesus and the Father who are one said this. Back that up. I guess I didn't write the script. In Luke... 
There's a verse I don't have it up there from Jesus. And Jesus looked across the crowd and it says he was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion. God is a compassionate God, and we'll look at that later. But God gives, the Father gives a gift of free will. And so after the son had blown everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to this field to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. He had a great time while he had money. He had friends. He had party time. Everything was good. The money's gone. Funny how the friends disappear, so-called friends. And he ends up working for a farmer, feeding the pigs, and he's so hungry he's looking at eating the pig slop. And the whole time, his father could have went and rescued him. He could have sent his servants up there, bring my son home. Why did the father leave the son in the pig pen? Because it's in the pig pen where he learned some good lessons. Does God discipline his children? Do you discipline your children, fathers? Is discipline bad? The Bible says this about discipline. The discipline of God, the Father, is done in love. In Hebrews it says, endured hardship is discipline. God is treating you as children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Remember, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They discipline us, our human fathers, for a little while as they thought best. But listen to this. God disciplines us for what? Good, our good. In order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Discipline trains us. The prodigal son in the pig pen, if the father would have rescued him, he never would have learned the lesson that things are much better in father's house. And he left them there. And God disciplines us many times through situations when we're getting off course. I remember when I was in school, they still had paddles on the wall. Anybody remember paddles in school? They're going back. Mostly the PE teacher and the shop teacher usually had a paddle, Steve, and, and uh, also the craft teacher had a paddle, and he had a big one like this, and he drilled holes in it, so when it came in for a landing, it would whistle. <laughs> and uh, they really did. These guys were looking stunned, though. They really had paddles. And uh, I remember one day I was disciplined because I was messing around. It was in... Uh, craft class and we were making clay pots and stuff and I wasn't much of an artist but I liked baseball so I made a ball and, and, and threw it and a guy threw it back and we got a clay war inside because the teacher wasn't there yet and just as I was getting ready to release and just as I was releasing the door opened and watched the teacher Skiffington get out here and everybody knew what that meant he went and got the paddle off the wall that hung in a prominent spot on the wall you walked outside, I knew I was in trouble, and I knew I deserved it. I was messing around. And you, you walk out in the hall, and it gets silent in the classroom. Everything's dead silent. Everybody wants to hear what's going on. Bend over and grab your ankles. I bend over and grab my ankles. Whap! Whap! And, you know, 
it stung. But I knew I needed it, and it taught me don't throw clay in class. And I never threw clay in class again. Of course, when you had to walk back into the classroom, you know, being, you know, middle school, you had to be macho, so oh, that didn't hurt, you know. Was that a mosquito, you know? And you're trying to fight back tears. <laughs> a poser, right? I just posing. But, uh, but God does that to us for our good. And the prodigal son's laying in the pig pen. You think the father would go rescue him. And I've met parents who have, have had kids out there, and it breaks their heart. They want everything in them wants to go rescue that person. But they know sometimes you've got to go through it to learn the lesson. Prodigal son went through it. And he learned a lesson. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. We don't know how long he fed the pigs. We don't know how long he was in that situation. But there finally came a point where he remembered father's house. He remembered there was peace and joy there. He remembered there was food and shelter there. He said, but God will never take, my father won't take me back. I blew it. I, I spent all my inheritance. I lived a wild, crazy life. He'll never take me back. Maybe he'll let me be a servant. Maybe I can just, you know, eat the crumbs on the, on the ground there. But, and, and he, but he said, I'm going back. The discipline of God leads to conviction and repentance, doesn't it? If you've ever gone through a time where you know God's disciplining you and you really are convicted, you know what you're doing isn't right, and you're repentant, that's what God wants to happen in discipline. So godly sorrow brings repentance. That leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. He was sorry. Godly sorrow. And he repented. He said, I'm going to repent. I'm going to go back and I'm going to tell my father I blew it and, and I'm going to be one of his servants. It wasn't worldly sorrow. You know, some people, when they're getting disciplined or going through, they're not sorry to God. They're just sorry that they're in the pig pen. And that's not repentance. And God will leave you in the pig pen until you get to that point where, God, I am sorry. I've blown it. I shouldn't have been doing it. I went off here and... And, and God the whole time says, I love you, son. I love you, daughter. I'm just trying to form you into the person I want you to be. Because if kids aren't disciplined, what do they turn into? Undisciplined kids. And unfortunately, I think we have a world full of uh, a lot of people that haven't. And I'm not talking about harsh, you know, corporal type things. I'm just talking about setting boundaries and having consequences. All those things that most of us had in our lives because those help form you into the person you're going to be. I remember I was in the barber shop in, in LaConner and, and uh, my friend was there and there was this kid. He was just running around tearing the barber shop apart. And uh, finally, my barber friend talked, you know, could you talk to your son? And he took him outside, and he and the son are having a talk, and the son is beating on the dad, just hitting the dad. And uh, 
he explained earlier, he said their type of discipline was you, you don't discipline because it may, you know, cause problems. So you just, you try to talk to them. And as this kid's beating on him and, and, uh, and finally he comes in, he's all red faced and he comes to the barber, he says, Johnny decided he doesn't want a haircut today. <laughs> so he, Johnny won the war and, and that isn't what God has in mind. He wants us to learn obedience and he doesn't love. And it leads to repentance. And that's what happened. The discipline of God leads to conviction and repentance. So the parable continues. He got up, he went to the father, but he was still a long way off. His father saw him, was filled with anger and hate for him. He got out a shotgun and blew him away. <laughs> oh, you don't have that translation? <laughs> he was filled with compassion. He ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him. And I just see tears coming down. To me, this is one of the greatest pictures of Father God. He's looking. Then I bet every day he got up and went out on his porch and just looked. Maybe today. Maybe today. I've been praying for my son. Maybe today. And some of you who've had prodigal sons come and daughters come home, you know that moment. It's overwhelming. And when he saw him a long ways off, he sees, is that him? Could that be him? And, no, I couldn't. And then he gets a little closer. Is that him? And all of a sudden, he realizes his son. And he's overwhelmed with compassion. And he runs. The old man running to the young son. And he gets to his son. He throws his arms around him and kisses him. My son. That picture of God just blows me away because that's how he feels for the whole world. He didn't want anyone to miss out on their inheritance. The parable of the compassionate Father. God our Father is a God of compassion. But you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. God is a God of compassion. I don't know where people get these pictures of God as some angry God up there waiting for you to make the wrong moves so he can scratch you like a pig. A pig. Scratch you like a bug. <laughs> he was in the pig pen. I suppose he could crush a pig if he wanted. But, uh, but he's not like that. He, he's waiting. Oh, you, you remember the thief on the cross? He said, hey, Jesus, remember me when you get to your kingdom. Just a little turn towards God. And Jesus said, you're in. You're in. You're going to be with me in paradise today. That's his compassion. God, our Father, is a God of compassion. And then it closes. The son said to the father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called a son. Dad says, you're right. Go be a servant. No. Dad says to his servants, quick, bring the best robe. Put it on him. Put the family ring on his finger. Put the sandals on his feet. Because he was pretty dirty. He was pretty smelly. He'd been with the pigs. Bring the fatted calf. Kill it. Let's have a feast. Let's celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. So they begin to celebrate. What a party that must have been. The fatted calf. You know, the food, the celebration, the music. My son who was dead is alive. My son was lost is found. And the Bible says that all heaven rejoices when one person receives Christ as a Lord and Savior. 
says all heaven rejoices. Because every one of us were prodigal sons and daughters until that day we came and asked God to be our Lord and Savior and we were adopted into his family and now we cry, Abba, Father. Some of you came later, some of you came younger. But the thing is, it was a celebration because our God is a God of compassion. Everybody knows John 3.16. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Beautiful. God so loved who? The world. That whoever believes in him. Whoever believes in him. But then John 3.17. You know John 3.17 says the very next verse? For God did not send a son into the world to what? Condemn the world, but to save the world. So many people have decided that God came to point fingers and say, you're condemned, you're condemned. Why would he do that? You already are condemned. He didn't come in the world to condemn the world. He came into the world to save the world. The Bible says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's conviction. Anybody ever been convicted? <laughs> But when God convicts you, he's not condemning you. When you blow it, he's not condemning you, saying, you're no good, you're a bum, go back to the pigs. He's saying, you're better than this. I love you. Let me help you up, and we'll go on, and we'll make you into what I desire you to be together, because I love you. No condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. The prodigal father's son, the son... And the father, the father of the prodigal son was a father of compassion.